We've got a code. Use code VOLLEYPOD for 20% off almost anything on the Art of Coaching Volleyball website, including premium memberships, coaching resources, and nearly all books. That's VOLLEYPOD, V-O-L-L-E-Y-P-O-D. Use it to save anytime you're on the site. Are you ready to take your volleyball game to the next level? Every week on the VolleyPod, we talk to two top coaches who share their secrets for success on the court. From drills to build skills to strategies for boosting confidence, you won't want to miss this valuable advice. Tune in now and elevate your game today. Good evening and welcome to a special episode of the VolleyPod. How are you today, Todd? Davis, it is an exciting day for the Volley Pod. Yes. We have a special guest, and uh, we couldn't be more excited. Absolutely. I am a fan of the programs that this gentleman has coached for. I'm a fan of the person, the coach, and just thrilled to have this person on the pod. You got an intro for us, Tom? Oh, yeah. This guy is just Hall of Fame coach. Legend. Uh, won a national championship in his first year. Oh, my goodness. At two different colleges. Wow. And then won a national championship in his last year. And so he's won a little bit as a coach. He won a state championship as a high school coach. And he was a math teacher, high school coach. And the coolest thing is right now he's back assisting with his granddaughter's club team. Really? And he was just hired to be a coaching mentor at... UOP Pacific. Wow. And of course, if you don't know by now, it's John Dunning. John, welcome and thanks Thank for joining us. Thank you so us. much for being here, <laughs> Coach Dunning. Thrilled to have you on. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to join you. Thank Absolutely. you. So what we got going today is the same format that we use on all our pro- on all our podcasts. Coach Dunning is willing to come on, teach a skill, teach a scenario, and also share a resource that he really likes. So he's going to get it going. Let's let's go. What's the uh, What do you have for us, John? Well, I, I think one of the, the things I used to, and still do, I guess, with my club team, like to, to work on a lot is uh, including the slide or one-foot takeoff um, in offenses. Um, and so for me, whenever I get into teaching anything, it, it's all based around questions. Um, and for me, the first question I would ask is, why run slides? Um, and there are some good answers, I think. All right. One, if you um, run a slide, it's very difficult for blockers to line up on it, and it's very difficult for blockers to not drift. And if so, if you can become good at it, then you have lots of targets in the block. You have lots of holes in the block at almost every level. Um, the other thing is, it's very hard to be on balance on defense defending a slide because the lateral movement. Um, makes people lean and step and go funny directions. And um, and then the other thing is, is there are lots of teams that don't run them. And one of my primary decisions when I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with the team I'm coaching is what can we do that the other team isn't prepared for? Um, and so in this case, if, you're, if your teams you're playing against aren't going to run them, then – they haven't practiced defending them. They don't understand the, the nuances of it. And so there are probably other good reasons, especially if you have basketball players on your team. Mm. They can be naturally good at it. 
and I included it when once the slide was discovered. <laughs> I've coached for a long time, and for a long time, no one ran it. Um, but once it was discovered, I've run slides on every team I've ever um, coached, and so. Now, quick question, quick question. Yeah, sure. Sorry to cut you off. Would you, uh, you know, usually I think I, I used to think about the slide as, oh, this is a little more of an advanced uh, attack. Uh, is it something that we can teach 10 year olds? Should we teach it along with the regular, let's say, two, three, four step uh, traditional approach? Should we start that early? My answer would be yes. Oh, okay. very interesting. Cool. You may not run it in your offense on a ten, you know, a ten-year-old or eleven or twelve-year-old team, but you might. You never know until they've been exposed to it, unless you have people that are good at it until you've actually seen it. Um, one of the four teams, seen and under teams I coached along the way, we um, ran a four-two setter was right front. And so that we had offense at both pins all as often as we could, we ran slides only from our middles, and it was really fun. Um, and so Davis I, would love that because he would dump it all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Sounds fun for the setter, though. Yeah, it sounds fun for the setter too, though. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and uh, we also had teams at Stanford and and at UOP where our opposite was the slide hitter. So we ran a lot of double slides. We, you know, you have rotations where they have no, don't have any pr problems. Like in row one, where you have a right-hander that's, and you got everybody stacked over to the left. And what do I do on offense? Well, we just let our offense go run slides and our middle hit middle, or they would trade and, and, and tr uh, on serve receive trade plays or trade positions. And, um, and then the opposite hitting slides blocking to the, you know, where they block it right front all the time. They, they have to do that so often they can just become very good at repeating, getting off to the loads point you need to get off to, and then hitting an op hitting a slide as an opposite. Um, I, I love it. You got, me, you got me convinced. We're, we're teaching everybody <laughs> slides. How do you do it? Where do you start with, especially with young kids with 10, this, you know, our pod is really, uh, we yep. try to focus on really teaching, uh, and coaching kids volleyball. So this is so great that uh, we have you, an expert on the slide. And how do you start? Where do you start with young kids when you teach the slide? For me, we always decided to teach it in a way that we could set as much as we possibly could. I love it. So for a long time, people ran slides by doing what the step down or a step towards the one and then sliding out five feet from the net parallel to the net. And I never invested in that because even though it was a little bit of trickery or deception, it eliminated so many balls that you could run the slide on because the center going off to the three meter line happens all the time. Right. And if you're going to run slides, I think you want to run it in a way that you can run it when the center gets off the net um, and still have a chance to not have the angles be too weird. And so um, it, the, what you have to kind of come up with, um, for me, is a couple things. One is where you go to load. Um, there have been some teams, Long Beach State, Cheryl Weaver playing for them, where she would start at left front almost and just run through the slide. I don't know how long they must have practiced that to have her be so good at it. But for me, <laughs> 
we we know Brian. He uh, he was out there. He was putting some hours in. We know that. They would practice it very hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, I I want I don't want to make it that complicated. I we don't often have athletes like Cheryl Weaver that could make it work. And so we put a load point on the court about 10 feet from the sideline, okay. kind of closer to the sideline than the setter's typical home base for most offenses. Okay. So you're actually starting behind the setter. And so you, what, what, the way we run it is we move to and through, through the load, load point that's 10 feet from the net and 10 feet from the sideline. And we have the hitter locate their left foot at that point and so they can slide kind of through it or run through it a little bit left foot goes down there and then it's just right left plant um that is your footwork so you locate with your left and uh, you do two steps right left simple the i love this reason you want it so close to the sideline is i believe you're a better chance of connecting and running slides and staying safe if you're not jumping out to hit them Okay. You, if you start further away than that, those last two steps are going to have to be longer, and you're going to have to jump out toward the pole um, in order to, to be able to run it. So we run it fairly close. The steps don't have to be long. And that way you can drive your right knee up when you lift off, like a high jumper, like if someone does shooting a layup in basketball. Just drive yourself up into the air with your arms and off that one leg, driving your other leg up. Um, so that's the key for me is the load point. The other one is the timing point. How do you time it? Um, and for me, there, I always like to opt on very specific things. So a very a thing that happens on every play is the setter is going to touch the ball. And so if you run your slides to start with, especially until you get into more advanced offense, where you locate your left foot at the load point when the setter touches it and then go. And you can go fast or slow depending on the situation and how you practice it. Um, you got to get linked up with the setter and the height of the set and the length of the set. And that's just by a, a process of elimination, by trial and error, so that it gets to the point where you know the setter set it well if you're in rhythm with it because you know you're putting your left foot down at the right place and right time, and you just take two steps from there and hit. Um, if it doesn't work, then the setter needs to adjust. And you, if you want to have it be different than that, then um, and you want to go faster on your approach, then the set's going to have to be slower. And a lot of teams set really quick slides. Um, so for me, those are the, the real key points. And... It, it's like anything else. You can teach people to jump off two feet and they can leave on time and have a lot of energy and drive into their approach and hit hard. Um, or they can leave early and go really slow and not be very good at all. Okay. Um, there, there's a lot of ways to adjust in good and bad ways and slides the same thing. You have to have time enough to drive that knee up and drive off the ground to, to, to go vertical because that's part of it. You can really jump off one leg. Most people can. Um, and you don't want to go slow. You want to get so that this is the right timing, this is the right set, and that worked. Um, so you drive, and then you can hit really hard, um, which is part of what you want to do because it's fun. We're, we're big fans of hitting hard. 
Yes. Quick yeah. question. I don't know if I'm, I'm getting, if I'm, uh, getting ahead of you there but when you uh I, I watch the arm swing on the slide and it looks like that because of the arm motion it's the circular arm swing seems a little more natural and people get a bunch of power from it and even sometimes their arm swing changes it seems when they run the slide than when they go off at two feet is that do you just let them just say, hey, get your elbow back and hit, and however they do it, they do it, or are you prescriptive on the arm swing? So to start with, for me, that, that's a great question. Um, you either let them be athletic and see what happens, or you program them. And so for me, on every skill um, that I get involved with in volleyball, I opt on the athletic side. So what I'm going to do is say, you go do it. Put your foot down here, go take two steps and go hit it and don't talk about their arms. And you'll see what's natural to them. And if, if, if it's not natural at all, then I teach them to use a two double arm swing just like off two feet. Okay. And all you do is as you start to move and locate your feet, you load your arms, you swing them back and drive both of them forward and do it similar to off two feet. But for me, the most natural way is to when you're running and you're you're doing your footwork for this and you're going to plant with your left foot, when you go to plant and you're running, your right arm is back. Right. And so that for some people could be awkward. But what it does is when your right arm is trailing because of the nature of where your arms are when you run, that when your left foot goes forward, your right arm goes back. And that's where the circular arm swing comes from. Yeah. Best one of the best people I've ever seen doing it is Feluca Akinrodawa. She was okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and her, she just absolutely had a roundhouse arm swing. Oh my gosh, she and would just detonate that thing. Fast as lightning, very powerful. Um, and it wasn't something she was, I don't think, taught so much as when I run, this is what happens, and this is what I have to do with my arm. Um, so for me. I let it happen and try to let it go that way. And if it doesn't work, then I try to program it for it or help them program it. Very cool. So what is the recipe for when the ball is passed off the net? Because one of my one of my big considerations is what you mentioned earlier. I love to run the slide, but I can't get them the ball often enough, especially when the ball is coming from off the net. So what are some things you guys do for that? One, they have to learn how to track. Um, just like anything else that middles learn, all hitters have to learn is they have to learn how to track with their eyes and their body and how they set their body up so they can see where it's going to be coming from. Um, they have to, know, to be able to turn their head, the whole thing, so that they can see it and, and get a feeling for the timing because they just can't wait for the ball to get to them. It's, it's, there's too many complicating parts to it. And so that's the first thing for me is they, they really have to track the ball when they're going into for their approach and when they plant, and that way they can see that ball coming over their shoulder. Okay. Um, the other thing is, is I think when you get off the net, you don't want to be setting it in the window. Um, a little off, a little in, just like we do all ball, almost all balls that are out of system, so that they, they're, they are – when they're looking at the ball and it's coming over their left shoulder and the setter's out by the 10 or 12 foot line doing this, mm -hmm. they're blind to the block to start with. Right. And so they, it feels dangerous. Um, and, and so what, what leaving it a little in a little bit off helps them not feel like they're going to get hurt. And then they, they just go. 
Um, and okay. the other thing is, is once you start, if you're cut, they're coming off the net to set it, the ball's going to take a little while to get there and you have to learn how to alter the timing. Mm -hmm. So you hang and wait and then go quickly. You don't just go at the same time because it's a different length and height set, um, that you hang on it. Then you go and go fast. And the, I think the key is you have to keep the ball between you and the net. Okay. If the ball gets back even with you, you're going to have a hard time seeing and hitting because the ball's behind you. And you have to approach so that you stay behind it. So approaching, whether it's off the net or on, you don't approach at the antenna. Um, you approach at the pole. Okay. That's where the, the pole is planted outside the court. And that keeps your approach off the net so that when you go to hit, you kind of have the ability to get it inside of you and lean in. And I think that's really critical. Okay. That's great stuff. That's wonderful. Now it makes sense. <laughs> now I know why we haven't been able to do it. We're going to a 5-1 <laughs> next week. We're in it. Decided. So I think that there are some tricks to training. The okay. uh, first thing I ha would have kids do if you have it in the gym is I would have them shoot layups. With a volleyball is fine. But learn how to run with a ball in there, stay in the right hand, or do it with a tennis ball. You could do it at the net just throwing the tennis ball. But I like the layup idea because then you're you're going up to something and you have to learn how to drive your knee and go up so if you want to get a feeling for the footwork um you put x on the floor where you where you want it to the footwork you to put your left foot down and then go from there with your two steps but you you got to get a feeling to drive of driving up and shooting some layups can do that mm -hmm. um uh the other thing I, I like to do is have the setter co or coach, I did it as a coach, stand outside the antenna and have them do their approach and I would toss balls from outside into them. Oh, okay. Approach to the ball and it's coming a different direction. It's not normal, but it gets them a feeling of being able to, if it's coming toward you, you can drive up to it better than when it's going away from you. Ah, nice yes. progression. So the ball's in front of them, so you take out that looking over your shoulder stuff. That whole idea, yeah. Nice. nice. And then the next thing I would have them do is toss it to themselves. Oh, I don't ever do that. I like that. Stand at the load point, face the pole, toss it high enough, a little inside of them, and approach and hit their own toss. Um, it's just like learning how, you know, as a kid, one of the ways you learn how to spike better is if you can learn how to jump, spin, serve, or jump, spin from anywhere on the court. Yep. So you toss it to yourself. Well, you can do that with slides too. I like that idea a lot. I've never seen yeah, that I one, really but I love that. it. Yes. That's awesome. And, and another one is hitting quick sets before you hit wide sets. Oh. Like our first slide we started with was a back one. You can hit the hit a one lightning speed once you get good at it, and you be, the what the back one does is it allows you. It's going to a specific point. You're going to do set up your low point in the middle of the court, do your approach so that you jump even with the setter, and they set it right behind their head, and you jump up and don't jump out. And hitting ones teaches you to jump up, not out, um, which I like again. I think is crucially important. Interesting. Very cool. I love that. I love the progression. Yes. They're all, you know, it's. And so does the natural side to side come from essentially where the set is taking them, but not their effort to try to go side to side. So they're trying to go up, but the sideways yep. movement comes from the, them just chasing the set down. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in the offense, 
you talk to different people, and one of the key things is to choose whether to either lead the ball with your approach or to chase it. Right. All right. And if you chase it, to me, that leads to jumping out. Right. And I never liked anything that made people inclined to jump out. But if you get ahead of it just a little bit so that you're um, – uh, the ball is coming to you. You'll be more inclined to jump up to the ball. And that's just super, super important. Yeah, I, I think there's an error thing there, too, because I see the the sideline errors when kids don't get to it and they they hit it out down the sideline when it gets outside their right shoulder. So the way you're yep. describing it, that really doesn't happen. And if anything, they're pulling it back across their body over to the right side of the court. And we're big fans of attacking toward the, the setter and usually away from the libero. Yep. So that's part of what how we do it is, is based upon we want their primary attack to be cross court. Got it. The block sucks. Excuse me. <laughs> but middles are reaching, outsides are reaching. They, they're not in a position to control the ball when you hit slides. And if you can hit it against the grain at that defense over there where there's usually only one or half a digger for the whole sideline over there, you have a huge advantage. And then when the ball's in the window, we never taught them to try to hit line very much. Sometimes it happened. But when it's in the window, we wanted them to just hit line at the blocker because the blocker's always reaching out at you, offering you a target. It's a great, it's a great, awesome. yes, I love it. It's awesome. Cool. So something similar for us, um, was our primary attack on threes was cross court. Most people mm. it's straight across the net Yes. because they approach straight at the net and, and then just hit it straight at the seam. What we wanted to do was get the middle reaching to the seam and hit a cross court really hard to dig. And then if they, you had an opening, you just went cross body seam. So this is kind of the same thing. Most people's primary attack on the slide is the line because they're jumping out to it. Mm -hmm. And when you jump out, you can't hit slot sharp cross court, cross court at all. Got it. Good point. Makes really sense. Good point. Yeah. All the pieces fit. <laughs> awesome. That's a lot of stuff on slides right there. But that's a lot that of great stuff. Awesome. Yes. That was awesome. I, I have a bunch of notes. This is, uh, I got to get in the gym. We got to get everybody jumping off one foot. Everybody's doing it. Yes. <laughs> awesome yeah. even, even the little kids even the little kids are doing it no I, I love it so we're moving on we're moving on we have a scenario coach coaching yes. scenario is the second part and i think you have one that uh is interesting what do you have first i i think you should introduce the slide approach to pickleball ah <laughs> well no the slide is it's perfect for pickleball That's because you, you you can uh you can stay out of the kitchen right Good point. Good it's point. just a, just a thought. I have no idea. I don't know <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, like you got to get. You'll get Terry on that. He'll he'll uh, he'll do he'll a little uh, study on that and, and get back to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, the coaching idea that I thought about um, when you invited me to join at the podcast, and I was just thinking, is how do we set standards for how we practice? And I'm not talking about the athletes. I'm talking about the coaches. And 
what the coaches do dictates everything that happens in practice. It, it's not coach-centered, but the coaches set everything up, how they're going to run it, how they're going to do drills, how we're going to play and all that. And so one of the thoughts that, that I think about a lot when I'm working with the coaches in different sports at UOP now, it's a really neat opportunity. I've been able to talk about this stuff a lot, is let's think about having an observer come into practice. And the observer's just coming in to um, see and write down what we do, how we do it, and then get into a conversation with evaluating what they saw. And so um, if the first thing you have to do is come up with what the um, standards are, what are the things that you want to have happen? Um, one thing they can come in and look at is the level of organization. Um, for me, I always, everybody that I always talk to, every coach in every sport, I got inundated with this when I moved over to Stanford. I said, what's, what's the key to Mark Marquis, the baseball coach? He said, remember, less is more. So we always tried to practice less than everybody so we were fresher and could have a chance to be healthier than everybody. The only issue is you don't have less material. You don't have less preparation to get good. And so you just have to be better at it. You have to be really efficient. And so for me, that was easy. I'm a math guy. I love efficiency. But what is the level of organization in your practice? And you could ask any assistant and just say, rate it from zero to 10. What's the level of organization? They'll be able to tell you a number because they're in there every day and they know what they feel like. And their head coach might or their boss might not like what they say, but they clearly would have a picture of it. And if they were open about it and talking to the people that were running in charge of running the practice, the head coach, I guess, um, then a lot could get done to make it better if we had conversations about it, but we just forget or we're afraid to. Um, so what else do we have on the list? Um, how does the gym feel? Does the gym feel like uh, it's fun? Uh, it's intense. Um, there are a lot of different words you could come up with. It's hard work. Um, what does the gym feel like is something that an observer could make an observation on. Um, um, how much of the feedback or coaching is positive versus negative? Most people have no clue how much more negative they are than what they think they are. Mm -hmm. And so most people would say that they don't want to have it be that way. But an observer or the assistant coach who clearly tell a head coach what the scoop is on this. Um, That's a great point. How much of the time do coaches talk? It's one thing that becomes very apparent when you sit and watch practices is how much they talk, how much they repeat themselves, how much do they lose players along the way because they, they've talked too much and the players, all they're saying is, I want to play. Let's go. Um, uh, how much time do we have or how much of the time do we have active learning? In other words, do we do things where there are lots of lines involved? People are waiting for a turn, you know, like you have, three coaches, but you're running one digging drill with three people and you have 12 people. And so you have nine people shagging. Well, why not do two of them at the same time, one on each side. And then you can just, you're always in half yeah. the time. That stuff is my pet peeve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is for all That's the show. low hanging fruit. For yeah. sure. We can grab that. What's the, what's the style of drills? Mm. Um, how are they set up? How are they framed? How do people know when they're going to end? 
um, uh, when you're successful, that kind of thing. Um, do you, does the observer think that this is a drill runner or a teacher, a drill runner or, um, someone who there's some actual coaching going on as well. We're not just doing it. There's some support for how we're doing it and what we're compared to what we want it to be. I think lots of practices nowadays are, are drill sessions, um, not enough active learning in terms of feedback, that kind of thing. That's teaching. A great point. That's a great are point. the athletes focused? Are the athletes intense? Are the, is the, there enough energy or noise going on in the gym? I went to uh, one practice of a UOP team this, this, uh, this last year, and it was the most vocal practice I've ever been in in any sport. Wow. And the athletes were completely engaged. No one was distracted by the noise. It seemed like everyone was playing with high energy. It was so fun to watch. And all it was was because everyone somehow was convinced that they needed to be vocal and help the team by being vocal. That's awesome. Um, do the coaches connect with the athletes? Um, my when I was a mentor was I was a math teacher. I had a mentor early in my teaching career, and I somehow um, I went around the room and talked to every kid in a thirty-five person math class in a in a fifty-minute class or whatever it was. And my mentor, it was always the most impressive thing that they would bring up about my teaching style was that I somehow managed to connect with each person every day. How many kids walk out of classes or walk out of practices and none of the coaches really connected with them? Right. So mm -hmm. for me, this is an exercise. You could have an observer come in and do it and help you with it. Be kind of scary for everybody. I was always scared the day my mentor teacher was coming in. Or you could make it part of how you run your program to say, okay, let's, what are the boundaries? What, what are the standards we're setting for how we're operating? How positive and negative do we want to be? How long the lines do we have? How much are we actually playing the game six on six? And let's evaluate it on a regular basis. So it just becomes part of the conversation. And my bet is if we're talking about civil people here, who are cooperating and want to get wanting to get along, everybody's practice would get better um, if we could make ourselves think about these things more often. Uh, is this list you have, John, uh, you've gone through, how many items are on that list? And is this what you're using now at, at UOP with some of the teams? Um, yeah, there's, there's about 10 items on the list, um, but I went through it more thoroughly and I probably have, 20 or 30 items that you could think, well, those would help establish the standards of performance and practice that if we did these things, our, you could look at our practices and it would make them better. Um, so I don't I, know that I, that first 10 might be uh, plenty for me to get my, <laughs> I don't know if we need any more. That seems like uh, I could get a bunch of improvement, getting some uh, solid evaluation there. Yeah. And, and some of the other ones have to do with, me dealing with different sports in the job I'm doing now, mm -hmm. where when you look at what a golf practice looks like or a swimming practice, it's different stuff than it is for volleyball or water polo or whatever. So this list is a pretty good one for a typical volleyball high school club, you know, college volleyball practice. They're good things to say, 
Yeah, look at that. We did that really well today, and we did this one. And oh my gosh, no, we were not very good at this. That's a good way to sit down after practice and have a list of ten things to go through once a week and say, well, how did we do with our list today? Yeah, That's that is, uh, you know, and it's one of my little pet peeves is, you know, we expect our players to get better all the time. And we spend a lot of time setting up practice and, you know, all the things we do to help our players get better. But what you're talking about is getting coaches better. And I think, you know, maybe it's the fastest way to get our team to improve is for us to improve as coaches. Yeah. For sure. Great point. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it, you can all you have to do is one make make one critical mistake in how you operate, and you could cut the what you accomplish down in, in practice to fifty percent of what you 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 would want. I know all about that, John. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> we're skilled in that aspect. I've had days where athletes with who are with me know that I'm not at high efficiency. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. Well, and for me, my my wife asks me every day because I love practice generally but so she'll ask me every day how was practice right and yeah. a lot of times it's just what's fresh on my mind like we scrimmaged at the last 10 minutes and we played pretty well and and there's that recency bias right but having a list like that i think is really organized and clean and even if someone's not saying it for you meaning to you you could probably check yourself as well but you have those blind spots so having someone else check for you might be a great idea especially someone you trust well, and even I think that idea you said of the assistant doing some of that and putting, you know, if, if you have an assistant there, sometimes, I mean, I, I look at all these, these club teams and they have assistants and the assistants sometimes aren't doing much. And giving the assistant a specific job for evaluation is not only going to help you as a head coach, but it's going to help that assistant coach learn and grow because usually uh usually maybe not in your case john but a lot of times a head coach has a little more experience than the assistant coach i know you're assisting a club team now and uh that's not the case with your your team <laughs> yeah i'm a very experienced assistant. <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. awesome I, I totally agree with you and it, it a lot so much of it depends upon um the relationship that people have the, the people who are working together um you know we we had someone who's working with our team who's new to the, um, the the team, I think fairly new to the club, and she was shagging balls all the time, and I just said, hold on, hold on. All right, the, the, no, let the kids do that. I will shag as many balls as they do when it's time, but don't you do that. You have to be looking at things and talking to them and talking to Garen and talking to me about what it is um, that you're seeing because – your eye has to be developed. You have to improve as a coach for what you see. And if you're just shagging, it's not going to work. Yep. Um, and so I, I totally agree then that the teamwork between the head coach and the assistants and having one of the people every other practice be in charge of how we would evaluate ourselves at the end of practice. You know, And if you got two people helping you, then – you know, every couple every couple weeks, you can have each of the three of you be the one who's the evaluator. Awesome. Um, I love it. 
And I think you said you can probably get us that list and we'll put that in the show notes, yeah, Davis. Is absolutely. that something you yep, can do with absolutely. your, your tech skills? <laughs> absolutely. We'll get that in the tech <laughs> skills. As long uh, as you can read my handwriting. <laughs> we'll get it in there. And Perfect. the other thing I was going to say to our listeners is we will include several of Coach Dunning's videos, which are unlocked uh, on the Art of Coaching Volleyball website. And uh, it's just great stuff for you to check out. So I think we're on now to the resource. Right. I'm really last, interested to see what you bit. last little bit. I'm really All interested right. to see what you coaching resource. Have for us, what do you coach? have? Well, for me, since I retired, the thing that's jumped just to about to the highest on my list of things that I like to talk about and read about and think about is leadership. When you walk around and talk to people, and this is true of my whole coaching career, they either are excited because they have a good natural leader on their team or maybe a couple if they're really lucky, or they complain because they don't have enough leadership to be who they want to be. And what you rarely hear people talk about is what they're doing about it. And so for me, if you want to get better at something, the avenue is education. So mm. how do you educate yourself? How do you educate your team so that you stop whining about not having a good enough good leaders and in the years where you have to really develop leadership come up with a way to do it and so a way that we're using at uop right now and that i used in the stanford program um, was we use a book by jeff jansen who well, i think he just left but for years he was at north carolina university of north carolina in a leadership institute they have there he's written many many books on the issue and the book that i like to start with is Jeff Jansen's Team Captain Leadership Manual. It's 10 chapters, and the way we're trying to use it is um, having a group of people, our leadership team or our whole team, read the, the book. We did it in the off-season, and then an hour a week, we would, for 10 weeks, we would read a chapter and discuss it, and there's exercises to do in the manual and everything. It's pretty cool. Um, and, and then connect the material with our program about our team right now um, so that it's not we're not just studying something we're studying something and try to trying to link it to who we are right now and the, this the point of it is is um, when I was young one of the, the mentors I had said you know what you have a good sense for your team and the chemistry and all that but you need to formalize your language in order to have them understand what you're saying and have it be easy to communicate to people, but you need to formalize it. And I said, no, I have two children. I'm already too busy. I'm not going to get a master's. I, I forget <laughs> it. And so, um, uh, the, the idea of this book is, um, using the, the information to educate the team and using it is using it as a vehicle to have discussions about leadership on your team and how it can affect your team. Um, and I really like the effect of it. You could come up with other books. I just happen to have a lot of experience with his and like it a lot. Awesome. We will Very put that cool. uh, in our uh, show notes as well as the resource of the week. That's a great one. Quick question as far as the process. Uh, I know it's the team captain's leadership manual. Uh, but you are putting that, uh, the studying of that book, everybody on your team's doing it, correct? Depends. Um, I've, I've done it different ways. Okay. 
I got a book for everybody on the team and we went through it and talked about it. Um, then at the end, I did it with a leadership group, like one person from each class maybe. Um, and we went through a smaller group, a little bit more manageable, um, a little bit more directed at the people who I thought could have a bigger effect on the team. Um, but either way can work. It just, is just kind of the situation you want to put yourself in. I just wanted to have a little bit more in-depth discussions with fewer people in my last couple of years, and I liked it that way. Got it. Very cool. Sean, how great has this been, Davis? It's wonderful. Oh, we We're just are, beaming right uh, now. Yeah. yeah, we are so fortunate to have you take your time uh, this evening, John, to, to spend with the, the, the Volleypod. Uh, we, we are so grateful. Uh, to you and thanks so much for sharing your wisdom we are uh davis i've, I've never seen him so happy I'm look happy. at him he, <laughs> he's glowing well and the, the one thing if i could before you go coach that i've always just wanted to say to you is is you give a voice to the coaches that are and by give a voice i mean uh represent i guess to the coaches that are not yellers that's not to say that you haven't ever yelled in your time but i don't really consider myself a yeller and there are some coaches out there like us that don't yell. Um, and I say us, you know, just hoping I'd be included in the, the group with you of not yellers, but it's like, you got so far by not screaming at your teams. And I just think that speaks to your character, like how you handle people, how you, how you, what you believe about coaching. Right. And um, I don't know, it's just really an honor to watch that and uh, really honored to have you on. Well, you listen, you listen to John, it does, takes you about five minutes to figure out this guy is a master teacher. Yes, yes. And that is just, you know, I think a lot of times we have, I know I'm working at, at a club now with a bunch of young coaches and they want to coach and uh, they don't know a lot about teaching. And yes. I listen to you and I'm like, oh, wow, that's what a teacher is all about. Yes. So it's so it's so great to have you. And I want to thank you again. Right on. Uh, you. Davis, you want to give them a little plug for uh, all of the uh, social media? Yeah, absolutely. You can find us on The Volley Pod on Twitter and AOC.TheVolleyPod on Instagram. And as usual, all the videos will be unlocked on the um on the page and we're really glad to have had you on coach. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And there's no bigger joy in the coaching realm for me now than sitting down and talking coaching with a couple other volley nerds. Yes, <laughs> definitely. I'm a volley nerd. Thank this you. That's what it's all about. Thanks, Thanks John. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.